Okay, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Um, I have a request, and that is, if you know the score of the Norwich-Arsenal game, please keep it to yourself. <laughs> I'm an avid Arsenal fan, and um, uh, I've got it on recall for when I go home. So when I go home, I'll probably get the bad news then. But till then, I want to be at least optimistic. Um, so uh, today I'm going to be talking to you about single session um, and one at a time counselling or therapy and um, I will be later after the short break uh, hopefully doing a demonstration of how I work within a single session framework and for that purpose I will require a volunteer from from one of your, uh, one of you good people, who has a a problem, a, a an emotional problem, not a financial problem, <laughs> an emotional or behavioural problem that you would like help with, and that you're keen to be helped today, and that you don't mind talking about in front of an audience of your peers. Um, if you volunteer, you get um, a copy of the an audio that I'll take um, with your permission and later on you get a, a transcript of the session. So I cure you, you can listen to me cure you and then read about me curing you. That's the theory anyway. So, um, so I'm going to start with um, uh, a, little, um, a, a little competition because um, I do have a, a booklet that I'm hoping to sell you all at the end for, for five pounds because um, I, I get plagiarised uh, sometimes with my PowerPoint, so, um, so I'm a bit kind of reluctant to give those out. But um, just to kind of get the, the room warmed up, um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get a free copy of this. Um, so we're going to play, I'll name that tune in. So I'm not going to sing to you, so don't worry about that. I'm going to put the lyrics one at a time, and your goal is to put your hand up if, one, you know the title of the track, two, the artist, and three, the film that it, it is in. So no shouting out. It's not too difficult. Um, if it turns out to be difficult, I'll give you two out of the three. But okay, I'll make it easy for you. You probably will get it from the first line, which is, there you go. No, yes. Look, if you had one shot. Yes, madam, please stand up. Have you got all three? Madam, please come up. This woman is not my niece or my daughter or anything like that. Thank you. There you go. There you go. Round of applause. Let's just finish this off and I'll show you why I, I've chosen this as the signature tune for single session one at a time counselling. Look, if you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment, would you capture it? or let it slip, which, which is, I think, a, just a, a very nice 
uh, way of encapsulating single session therapy. Um, so, what is this thing called single session and one at a time counseling? Well, it is um, an intentional endeavor. The counselor, the therapist, and the client get together with the intention. They both know that they're that setting out on, on, the, on this um, short journey where the therapist seeks to help the client in one session, but knowing that more help is available. Um, there are times when single session therapy is what I call Ronsil, which is, means it does exactly what it says on the tin. So for example, the demonstrations that I do and the demonstration that I will do this afternoon will be um, a one session therapy. I will only be speaking to this person once and once only. But um, the one at a time aspect, if you want to emphasize that, is that both parties set out with the intention of helping the client in one session, knowing that more help is available. Now, at the end of the session, um, rather than book a session straight away, another session straight away, which is probably um, m much more common uh, in, in other ways of working, the client is engaged to in, um, is encouraged to engage in a process of reflection of what they've learned, digesting what they've learned, taking some action, letting time pass before they make a decision whether they need another um, session. Um, one thing in my practice that I found um, out that when people come to a session, they haven't done much preparation for it. And when they leave the session, they, they tend to go out in the world without much reflection. So I think generally this is a good thing to encourage people to do, to prepare for the session beforehand, to reflect and digest on what they've learned, to take some action, and then to, to actually um, wait and decide before they make another appointment. So single session therapy or counselling um, is a mindset and a mode of service delivery rather than a specific therapeutic approach. So somebody who says, I'm a single session therapist, will be telling you about what mindset they hold under certain circumstances and the fact that they are involved in a mode of service delivery which offers, which offers a single session rather than an ongoing or a block as a matter of course. Um, it's not a specific counselling approach or a technique. And it's based on the idea that a brief encounter between two people can be therapeutic. Okay? Um, I don't know if you've had the, uh, the experience of, of um, meeting somebody and speaking to them and finding what they had to say helpful and, and never seeing them again, or even have the experience of actually meeting um, somebody and helping the other person in a brief period of time. 
My own experience was that uh, in 1968, 67, 68, um, I was listening to a radio interview with a man called Michael Benteen, who was one um, probably uh, most famous as a goon or um, uh, had a TV program called The Potty Men. I don't know if you remember The Potty Men. Uh, those of you who could probably uh, guess that this was Eminem will probably think that we're all crazy because it's a different time. Um, I have a stammer, you may be able to pick it up, but, uh, and at the time it was a lot worse. And during that course of the radio interview, Michael Benteen was sharing his experience uh, that he had a stammer and that he said that what he found quite helpful was to adopt the attitude, if I stammer, I stammer too bad. Now that struck me at the time. It was something that I then implemented and um, helped me quite a bit. And so I was helped by a very brief encounter, virtual encounter, because I never get to speak uh, uh, to meet him. Um, and it was about, a, a, um, that portion was about a minute of an hour's interview. So human beings are organisms that can be helped quickly and can help other people quickly. Now, therapy length is expandable. Um, this is called Parkinson's Law of Psychotherapy. It has got a, a specific name, and it is that therapy expands and contracts to the extent to which you uh, assign particular time to it. So if you want to give people two years then, and they you know, embark on that, then they'll take the two years. Um, if you give them, uh, or, or if you offer them something shorter, they will tend to use the time that is available to them. I actually found this out as a university lecturer on my courses when at the beginning of my uh, course I'd hand out something, um, a course booklet which um, outlined the time. Um, in September, students knew that they had to hand in their work by the end of April. And so the end of April came and most people would hand it in about a quarter um, uh, of an hour before the deadline and, and a few people would rush in, papers going all over the place and we were able to sort of help them to calm down and staple everything. And so they accused me of being unfair and that they needed more time. So then I gave them an extra month and guess what happened? Exactly the same. So um, if you give people um, a long period of time, they will still procrastinate at the end of it. So, what are the favorable conditions that exist for single session and one at a time therapy to thrive? First of all, it's best done within a context where help is provided quickly in response to help being sought. In other words, um, it's help provided um, within the context of need rather than in the context of availability. Most times if you want psychological help, particularly from a public or a charitable organization, you'll start off being assessed um, and then you will have to uh, wait. So you have to wait for an assessment and then you'll have to wait for therapy. 
when single session therapy is um, offered within a walk-in context, you walk in to a therapy agency that provides the service, you fill out a brief form and you're seen about 30 minutes later for a session of therapy. There's no assessment, no triaging, um, just therapy. So this is help provided quickly in response to help being sought. Um, it's important that both therapist and client hold realistic expectations about this work. If both think that nothing can be done, then nothing will be done. Um, however, it's unlikely that in a single session we're going to uh, bring about um, a, a, a fundamental change in uh, personality, for example. And so um, there is an example in literature uh, where Scrooge went to bed, a curmudgeonly, mean-spirited old man, and then after three single sessions with three single session ghostly therapists emerged completely different. That tends not to happen. So when both therapist and client hold realistic expectations about what can be achieved, then that is a favorable condition. So the client needs to understand what's on offer and gives informed consent. This is not something which is foisted on somebody. They get to choose whether they want to engage in this process or not. And time between help seeking and appointment is used well. When single session therapy is done by appointments, then when the appointment is made, then um, the process of change is, is, is underway because they are invited to engage in a process where they prepare themselves to get the most out of the session and feed back the information so that the therapist can prepare him or herself to help the person to get the most out of the session. What normally happens is that when you ring up for an appointment, you're given an appointment, you may be sent information about the service, but you're not really helped to engage in a process where time is used um, effectively. So this is another important condition. An organisational and administrative support is provided. So you may be, uh, as a therapist, very gung-ho, rushed um, uh, back to set up a, a single session, part of a service within the agency in which you work, but unless you've got the support of the organisation and the administrative structure, then your, your enthusiasm Will not, will not really bear fruit. So, um, on the other hand, unfavourable conditions is that there is a long gap between help sought and help provided. It makes no sense if there's going to be a long gap for single session therapy to be offered. Help is provided after certain conditions have been met. So, um, if you're going to be... Um, if you like going for an assessment or where the person believes as unfortunately increasingly cognitive behavior therapists believe that you can't do therapy without a case formulation. Look, I've got nothing against case formulations. Perfect, but not for single session therapy. So if you believe that that 
uh, can only, therapy can only be done on the basis of a case formulation that's not a favourable condition. And case history, quite often when therapists do a case history, they gather a lot of information which is not used. Rather than do that, ask the client, what do I need to know about your history that will be crucial for me to know in order, in order for me to help you today? That's a much better question to ask. Time between an initial contact and help being provided is not used or not used well. As I say, nothing is, uh, you're not encouraged to do anything on the basis of having made um, a particular appointment. Now, blocks of sessions are offered. Again, I've got nothing against blocks of counselling sessions. In fact, if there is a good indication for a block of session to be offered, that's fine. I'm against the routine offering of blocks of sessions. How many of you, by the way, are counsellors in the audience? Just put your hand up. Okay. Now, what do you think is the most common number of sessions that is offered in a block? Six. It's six. And then I asked the question, why six? And people say, because it's always been six. You can ask the question about why 50 minutes? Why not more or less? Why once a week? You know, and so, so, so this, uh, 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 this type of, of work does seem to challenge a number of uh, cherished ideas. So the more you have blocks, the more you have waiting lists, and the more and, and the greater number of sessions within the block, the longer the waiting list. So um, blocks of sessions routinely offered are um, really not the great uh, climate for single session therapy to thrive. And, uh, and there is a lack of organisational and, um, uh, um, and administrative support. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you all know what the mode is? Do you know what mode is? I'm not talking about fashion now, I'm talking about the statistical mode. Anybody like to give me a definition of the mode? Yes, sir. On a, on a sort of um, normal distribution, <coughs> the mean, the median, and the mode are all the same, but the mode is the most popular. Yeah, the most frequently occurring number. Okay, the, freak, the most frequently occurring number in a series. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think is the modal number of sessions throughout the world, internationally, in public and non-governmental charitable organisations who, um, who offer therapy? What do you think the modal number of sessions is? Six. There's that famous six. <laughs> Sorry? Three. Twelve. Ten. Okay, let's see what the answer is, shall we? It's one, followed by two, followed by three. Right? Now, this graph, you can see it. Let me just zip over here. I've been told not to 
not to stand in... I'm sorry. It's... So, this is um, data that comes from a very large data collection um, study in Victoria, Australia um, in the early 2000s. Uh, 45, between 40 and 45 have came for one session and then two. Uh, this is over a three-year period. There's a, there's a brief recovery at 20 because all the data beyond 20 were combined. Okay? So we have the situation that the most frequently occurring number of sessions that we have is one, but the counsellors and therapists are not trained in single session therapy. You know, it's a strange thing. We're trained to see on the assumption that people are going to come back and, you know, and that's fine, they do come back and we, of course we need to, you know, to have the ongoing training as well, but we don't get trained to see somebody just once. And, and guess what? People say, ah, yes, but that's because they were dissatisfied. They've dropped out. They, were, they thought that they had lousy counselling. Well, sorry to tell you, folks, but 70 to 80% of those who have one session are satisfied with that session given their current circumstances. All right? That does mean, of course, that 20 to 30% aren't, so we, we, we don't want to... Uh, we, don't, we don't want to gloss over that. But this finding has occurred, like the other finding, across different studies and populations. Clients are more satisfied with the outcome of a single session than their therapists are. Weird. It's a bit like you're going to the dentist and after one session, they helped you with a toothache and you were happy and they said, yeah, but there was more work to be done. You know? There was cleaning to be done. And... Now, the third interesting foundation here is that therapists are not good at predicting who's going to come back and who's not going to come back. So, you know, when I was training, we used to have these very, I don't think they have them that much these days, but we used to have sessions whereby somebody was assessed and we used to have a discussion and they used to, used to say, oh, yes, uh, this person's got this problem, that person, I think they'll need to be helped by somebody of their own gender, who's younger, who practices this kind of therapy. So we used to have great conversations, about 10 people, they're having great conversations, and then the person didn't turn up again. You know, so again, we're not good at that. So all we know, all we know is that when a client is in front of you, all you know is that you're seeing them on that occasion, that, that point. How do you want to spend the time? Do you want to spend the time doing a case history? Do you want to spend the time doing an assessment? Or do you want to spend the time helping them? according to what they nominate to be, uh, to be this, uh, 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 the topic of help. Now, um, let's suppose I, um, I gave you the opportunity to have a single session with any therapist who's still alive that you really favour. Now, who would it be with? 
Yalom. It's interesting how Yalom keeps cropping up, right? You know. Hopefully, when I'm a, when I'm when I'm in my eighties, they'll say Wendy Dryden. <laughs> but it's Yalom. Okay. So you see. Okay. So we we fly you over to see Yalom, and he does a case history. Are you happy? No. I, actually, some people say just to be in the same room is sufficient. <laughs> But we'll kind of we'll gloss over them. All right. So all you know when you're seeing somebody is that you're seeing them for that moment. You don't know that they're going to come back or not. <clears throat> so the crucial idea underpinning help uh, single session therapy is help provided at the point of need. Now, this in itself is, is based on a number of ideas. And I'd just like to go over them with you. The first idea is it's better to respond to client need by providing some help straight away rather than by waiting to provide the best possible help. Or at least you give them a choice. You can say to somebody, look, I can see you for a single session of therapy now, or you can wait four or five months for 12 sessions of this well well-researched, um, evidenced piece of work. You give them the, give them the choice. But um, single-session therapy is based on the idea is that when people want help, help them, okay? Because they're ready. When they come along, they're in a state of readiness. And what happens generally is when people are in a state of readiness, we ask them to wait for an assessment and then they get the assessment and we wait. And the more they wait, the more the readiness tends to drain away. And so sometimes I've heard of cases where people get um, invited by phone for their long-awaited single session of therapy and they've forgotten about it because it's been so long. Providing immediate help is more important than carrying out an assessment or a case formulation. Therapy can be initiated in the absence of a case history. We don't need to, uh, to have a case history. We can ask the question that I asked you earlier, uh, uh, asked earlier, what do I need to know about that before we start? Uh, um, uh, about you before we start. People have the resources to make use of help provided at the point of need. If they didn't, single session therapy wouldn't exist. But they do. Sooner is uh, uh, rather better. Rather than more is better. We often seem to argue that more is better rather than sooner is, is better. Now, the best way to see if a client will respond to therapy is by offering them therapy and see how they respond. So people say, um, who is most suitable for single session therapy? And I'll say, well, let's have a single session of therapy and I'll tell you. Because I don't know. 
Therapy can be initiated and risk managed if this becomes an issue. I'll take questions at the end, thank you. Um, so here's the, uh, um, uh, the idea is that people say, yeah, but what about risk? And I say, well, you know, you do exactly the same. Once you've discovered um, in the course of, of talking to somebody rather than them putting it on a form somewhere, talking to somebody that they, they are at risk, you, you, you manage that risk in the same way as you would in any other uh, context, but you find out about it more quickly. So appropriate therapy length is best determined by the client. We can come up with 12 sessions of cognitive behavior therapy for this disorder or that disorder, but if the client doesn't turn up for them, the client is actually making a decision about, you know, what is right for them. When a person does not return for another session, this may well indicate that the person is satisfied with what they've achieved, although it may be the case that they were dissatisfied with the help provided, as I said earlier. Now, what are the goals of this work? Well, I think as a therapist, the goal is to help the client to get unstuck in some way. I have a, um, a, um, an image, uh, my signature image, if the Eminem song was my signature tune, my signature image is that um, somebody has got their car stuck in the snow and has tried to get themselves out of the snow by revving their engine. All they do is to, is, is, uh, to get themselves deeper. And so they can't get themselves out of being stuck on their own but together, working with somebody to push the car out of the snow, they manage to get unstuck and move, and, and move away. So, um, and also to help the client to take a few steps forward, which may help them to travel the rest of the journey without professional assistance is particularly useful. To help the client address a specific concern is, a, um, a, a, is another goal, to help the client to see that they have the wherewithal to achieve their goals. And this, this way of working does um, really encourage people to identify and see the use of their own strengths and resources. And to see and to help them to select a, a, a possible solution and to give them the experience of the solution in the session if possible through role play, imagery, two-chair dialogue, even by dancing, apparently, you, you can help people. Um, to help the client to develop an action plan and, um, and then to, to actually initiate that action plan by, um, by nominating a specific way of doing so. So, who is suitable for this work? Well, when I first engaged with this work myself and I became interested in this uh, way of working, um, probably around about time I was retiring from Goldsmith, about 2014, although 
whenever I gave a, a lecture or on REBT, I would always give a demonstration. I, I fervently believe if somebody is going to be talking to you about a therapeutic approach, you know, they should demonstrate that approach because it brings it to life. Um, and that's why I have always tended to do these uh, demonstrations. Um, and also, that's the way people tend to learn. I learned more from a video series uh, where Carl Rogers, Albert Ellis, and Fritz Perls interviewed Gloria than I did about reading about all these approaches. So um, I think it's, um, it's useful. Now, Within this, I first started to get my own ideas together, and I thought, okay, let me engage seriously with the, uh, the idea that there are indications and contraindications. So I came up with a long list of indications and contraindications, and then I thought um, in a blinding flash that what I was doing is coming up with a single session to see who was a who was suitable for a single session, which is a bit ridiculous. So if you are going to engage with this, you want to do so, but without that trap. When people walk into a counselling service for help, they're making their own decision. What I do when somebody rings me up for an appointment, I tend to um, list the range of services and have them choose. And if they choose a single session, I'll help them pre uh, to prepare for that. And if it turns out that they need further help, then we've discovered that as a result of the single session, rather than engaging any pre-session criteria, which may be theoretically plausible, but not necessarily specific to the person concerned. Now, there's a place in Australia called the Bouverie Centre, and they have what they call the embedded approach. Everybody who comes into the Bouverie Centre for help gets a single session because they know that about 40% will require no further help. The rest of the people will require another session a little bit later or referral to a specialist service or some other type of help. So they can actually save a lot of time and respond to people when they need to be responding by having what they call the, uh, uh, the embedded approach. <clears throat> so let me talk a little bit more about what I um, spoke about earlier, which is the single session and one at a time mindset. It's based on the idea of celebrating the power of now and creating a realistic expectation for single session therapy. I've got a clock in my office. Um, and instead of there being an hour of one, two, three, four, five, etc., it's got now, 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 now. To, in, you know, to remind me and to remind the client, it's all we have is now. Let's see what we can do now. Um, and to see if we can actually help you um, move on based on what we've discussed in the counselling session. It's client-centred in the sense that it's focused on what the client wants to work on. 
One of the things about therapy training is we're very good at finding, of, of, of actually hearing underneath what, what problems the client may have. In fact, when I was training, uh, we used to make a distinction between the presenting problem and the real problem. And of course, whatever the client would present, therefore, was not the real problem. Think about that for a moment. How disrespectful that is. It may well be true, but to assume that it is. So we unashamedly deal with the presenting problem. Why? Because that's what the client wants help with. Now, counselors often say, yeah, but how do you engage people quickly through the work? You can't do that. The therapeutic relationship needs time to develop. Well, it can do, but in this type of work, you can engage people very quickly, one, by focusing on what they want to achieve, two, by really indicating to them that you're keen to help them as quickly as possible. And three, to be, as, uh, to be open and give feedback, uh, honest feedback um, about various things so that it's done within the context of authenticity. And we do have research that shows that the clients who get more out of single session work um, have a good alliance with their clients than, cli than clients who don't get as much out of the single session. Now, Mick Cooper, who you've um, heard this morning uh, with his pluralistic hat on, he has a, another hat, which is the relational depth uh, hat. I don't know if he spoke about that. Did he speak about relational depth today? No, okay. So he's got this idea about relational depth and, and, and counsellors love that because, you know, we, we like to have deep and meaningful relationships with our clients. Now, again, I'm not knocking that because some people require that, but not across the board. Not everybody requires that. So I sometimes say to Mick, why don't we do a joint, um, a joint session? You can start off and, and talk about relational um, depth and I can finish up by talking about relational speed. You know, and sometimes when I'm brave, I do say that single session therapy is the therapeutic version of speed dating, <laughs> where you very, very quickly find out who you're not interested in, right? I don't know if any, any of you done speed dating, but apparently that's what actually happens. Ask the client, how best can you help them? This is one of my favorite questions. How can I best help you today? Is it by helping you to solve a problem? Is it just by listening to you? Is it just by uh, uh, encouraging you to get things off your chest without interruption? How can I best help you today? And rather than ask the question, the most frequently asked question, what would you like to achieve at the end of therapy? Ask the client, what would you like to achieve um, uh, at the end of today? Um, a question that I like, if you go home, reflect on what we've discussed and you were pleased of what you've achieved, what would you have achieved? And I then help the person to achieve that if, if possible.
Now, that doesn't mean that I'm prepared to go along with whatever the client says, because if sometimes the client nominates a goal which I think is, is actually counterproductive, I will offer my opinion if they're interested. So it's not just about going along with what the client wants. But if you don't go along with what the client wants, then that's not a good thing either. So the important thing is to agree on a focus for the session and then to keep on track. One of the skills that we don't necessarily train people when we train counsellors is how to interrupt tactfully. In fact, we're encouraged not to do that, you know, quite often. But we do that, and what I often say is, there may be a time during the session that I may have to interrupt you. Do I have your permission to do that? So give a rationale asking for permission, which is an important thing. And to have good pacing. You know, a good single session therapist think that 50 minutes, for example, if that's the amount of time that you allocate to it, is a long time rather than, you know, um, as, as other people think, oh my God, I've only got 50 minutes. And they tend to rush. And if you rush, you're not going to be a very effective single session therapist, in my view. A clarity of um, where you, you're clear about what you can and what you can't offer. You're clear in your communications. Um, one of the things that I don't like doing is watching American films these days because they mumble. And I say that good single session therapists do not mumble. They're clear in their communication with people. And they, they make an emotional impact. It's not done within the context of uh, a dry theoretical discussion, but it also isn't done within the context where the, uh, where the client is overwhelmed with affect. And if the client is overwhelmed with affect, that might be an indication that they need more help than you can provide them within the context of a single session. And therefore, that's discussed with them as well. <clears throat> Another feature of this, as I've um, mentioned before, is it's important to help the client to identify and see that they can use their strengths um, which uh, to um, address their problem. And quite often, people have gotten out of touch with um, recognising that they have strengths and don't see how their pre-existing strengths can be utilised by themselves to actually help themselves. And that's one of the things that we try to do. And also to encourage the client to utilise their environmental resources, people in their lives. I had one experience where somebody, um, I had a, um, um, a, uh, um, a pre-session telephone uh, contact with somebody, which is, which is what I use in my own practice, to help the person to get the most out of the face-to-face -face session. The guy then came over from the face-to-face -face session. I think he lived in one of the Channel Islands. The night before, he met with his uh, friends who hadn't uh, seen for a while. Um, he, they asked him why he was here. He said quite openly that he was here to consult a therapist because he'd got stuck uh, grieving for his mother. And his friends would open up to him 
and say how they got stuck and that he found that enormously helpful. And when he came to see me, effectively, he, he didn't need the session because his friends were helpful to him. So never underestimate the potential therapeutic power of the environment and help the, uh, the person to see that they can use people in their lives and other, um, and other resources to help them. Finding out how people have addressed their problem and what the outcome of that is also an important uh, part of the schema. So um, what you want to do is to encourage them to distance themselves from strategies that they've tried that haven't been helpful and to capitalise on elements of attempts that have been helpful, even though they haven't been fully helpful. They may be uh, incorporated into the work itself. And the idea is you want to negotiate a solution to the problem, if possible, with the client, uh, based on an understanding of the problem, based on what their goal is, and based on what you've discussed in the session. You can get together and actually help the person to see what might be a good way forward. Um, and to encourage them to rehearse the solution in the session to try it out. How many of you have bought a car recently? Did you test drive it? Why? Yeah, exactly. Because you want to find out, um, you know, that the car suits you. Because you, have, you might have a great car, but it may not suit you. And so you may come up with a, you know, a great solution that's underpinned by a lot of research, but it may not suit the person. Okay? And quite often when one of my weaknesses in the past has been that you know, in this work I want them to take away as much as possible. Um, this is based on my Jewish heritage and my mother. You should go and see my mother. And if I didn't go home with a chicken, three loaves of bread, 14 scones or whatever it is, my mother felt, you know, that she wasn't a good mother. So the idea is the more you offer people, the less they'll take away. And if they take away one thing that's meaningful that they can put into practice, that's what you want to help them to achieve. And then you want to help them to uh, develop an action plan and... Uh, this is an important point. Encourage the client to summarise at the end what, they've, what you've covered and what they're going to take away. Don't summarise yourself because if you summarise yourself, you don't know what they're going to be taking away. You may be accurate in your summary from your perspective, but you don't know what they're going to be taking away from their perspective. And it's always best to know what they're taking away from their perspective. At the end, you want to uh, tie up the loose ends and clarify the next steps. Important for the person to go away in an optimistic frame of mind. There's some old research done by Jerome Frank in his book, Persuasion and Healing, and he argued that the, um, the kind of uh, a, a common feature of why people sought help was because they were in a state of, um, um, of demoralization. And so what we want to do is to, in a sense, 
help them to go away with a sense of hope that they can take what you've covered with them and they can implement it and to put it into practice knowing that they can come back and have more help if needed. And to finally to arrange a follow-up. There are some purists in the field that argue that single session therapy should not involve a follow-up because it involves another contact and that uh, that really goes against the spirit of single session work. But in this day and age, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't at least uh, show people what the, you know, what people get out of this work. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, let me um, tie this thing together by uh, trying to show in a way that uh, single session work has actually pluralistic features in terms of what Mick Cooper was talking about. I've written a, a short blog on, their, on the pluralistic practice uh, website on the pluralistic features of, of, of single session therapy. And also in terms of dance therapy, when I first met the woman who was to become my wife, I knew after one dance that I was going to marry her. So hopefully before we break for tea or coffee, I've given you an opportunity and some time to ask, ask some questions. So thank you very much. Well, if there was a risk of suicide um, and self-harm, that's where you start. Because, you know, the well-being of a person is actually, um, you know, a, a priority. But if people find it difficult to nominate what strengths they have, I ask the question, if, the, if they were going for a job that they really wanted and they were asked to nominate with, uh, 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 with genuineness what strengths that they had, would they say that they didn't have any? And that's doubtful because, because they would really want the job. So if you ask that question, you can actually, you know, get some sense. But, you know, risk, you know, if, uh, uh, um, if the course of, of any therapeutic encounter, you get a sense that the client is at risk, then that, pre uh, that predominates. This gentleman's been dying to ask a question for ages. Yeah, so we're going to give him the opportunity. Hello. Um, nice to meet you, sir. Nice to meet you. Uh, the one-stop shop that you offer. One-stop shop? Oh, no, that's my paraphrase. Yeah, I was going to say that's a... It's a single session intervention. Yeah. Um, did you examine any other restraints, such as financial or in this crisis intervention that you offer, which obviously has results? Well, I mean, you can offer it privately, um, but you can offer, but, you know, what I'm trying to do is to encourage, you know, or to interest the NHS to, to actually kind of at least pilot it. And so, and so um, the, the, the agency uh, that this is offered is increasingly in universities. Um, uh, uh, they don't have to pay for it, 
and also increasingly in certain non-governmental charitable organisations, which again are low cost. So, so, so financially, this should not be, you know, this should not be a particular burden. The other thing about the finance is that, you know, we often, as therapists, charge for per session. We don't necessarily charge per treatment. You see, so you could actually charge per treatment if you want to, you know, charge more per session. I don't know. But financial, you know, should not be a particular um, um, impediment. Does that answer your question? More or less, thank you. Okay, right. Well, can we get more and more? Have you got any other doubts, reservations? No? Okay, well, we'll go on. Thanks for your talk. What's the maximum time you would give to a one-stop session? <sighs> well, I do have a preference that we stop using one stop. <laughs> I want to put a stop to the one stop. See what, see what you started, you see. Uh, um, well, uh, the longest that I've found exists in the literature is um, uh, three hours. That's the, uh, the type of work that's done by a, a man who pioneered it called Ost, O-S-T, who uh, pioneered a one Sing, um, a one-session treatment of sp uh, specific phobias, and I was always envious of, of Ost because um, Ost OST invented a therapy called one-session therapy OST. So I, I kind of thought, well, if I was going to do that for Windy, what would it be? And it would be, wait, I need Dryden, yes! <laughs> but it doesn't quite have the same ring to it. So he, they do three hours, uh, kind of, but... They're quite clear about, you know, what's going to happen in that three hours. It's going to be a very uncomfortable ride. You know, if you're going to really hold spiders in your hand at the end of it, you know, and you're spider-phobic, you know, you're going to have to... So people will only go in for that if they're prepared to put up with that level of discomfort. Um, the shortest time that I have done a single session was three minutes, 30 seconds. So, but that was under, you know, specific circumstances where somebody was, was desperate to be helped, you know, just as I was going away. So, no, please, please, come. three minutes, 30 seconds. So, you're going to get more than that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you're not limited, you know, according to how you work, there's no specific. My own approach is to say, I'll see you up to 50 minutes. Because if I've helped somebody after 40 minutes, um, I don't want to spend the next you know, 10 minutes undoing that because they're expecting 50 minutes. So up to 50 minutes is what I would say. Yeah. Um, would you recommend SST for patients that are already in Well, okay, you've asked two separate questions. And there have been cases where I have been contacted by um, therapists saying, look, I have a client, I'm seeing them in ongoing, normally psychodynamic work, but, you know, they have this particular anxiety, would you prepare to see them for a single session? And I say yes, if everybody agrees. Now, your second issue is that if people have multiple problems, then quite often being able to focus on one 
and getting something out of that gives them a sense that they can, they can address the other particular problems. You're not going to necessarily be able to address um, us, all of them, of course, although what I do is try to help the person to reflect on whether what we've discussed can be generalised to other issues that they have. Okay, uh, thank you. I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm getting a little bit, I'm a bit saddened actually, to be honest with you. Okay. Because SST, um, I'll give you a little bit of background. Two weeks ago, I was sitting in an induction um, for drink, um, for people who have drink problems. And it was an induction, and a gentleman behind me was, he weren't in a good way. And the two counsellors in the room, he, at the end, they said, any questions? And he actually admitted, I've just drunk a bottle of vodka to come to this, you know, to get myself in here. Um, I thought I was going to be seen today. And they said, we can't see you for another week. You know, this is a familiar thing I'm seeing all the time, mm. especially with my military background. I see a lot of military friends who took their lives. Mm. Um, SST... Why ain't we actually, why ain't we taking it and, and doing it? Because, as you said, at the moment, when you've got a problem, that's the best time to capture it. Yeah. Because if you don't, they're going to walk away. And I've done it on experience. I've walked away. I am the problem. Because I've gone past it. Right. Because I've already, I've dealt with it. Yeah, the moment has been missed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and it's saddening sitting here listening to this. And I know... I think the two reasons are, one, we, we tend to be wedded to the idea of assessment before therapy. Yeah. And secondly, we don't have a tradition in this country of walk-in therapy. Now, we may have drop-in services, but if you look at the drop-in services, they tend to be, not all of them, but they tend to be signposting services where somebody comes in, meets with somebody, and that person helps them to see where to go for their problem rather than be helped with their problem. So I would love to have the opportunity to pilot this stuff in, in you know, whatever setting you know, you would like me to come and, uh, you know, pilot it because, I, you know, this, I mean, I share your frustration. Yeah, and the biggest thing is, which is frustrating as well, is what you see going on in America at the moment with Tony Robbins, Dean Grissino, yeah. and all these people who are coaching. They are actually on it straight away with people. Yeah. And it's very similar. And people now have gone to, I've been in front of psychologists, you know, 10 sessions in Army Street. And he couldn't even get me to speak because I just, I just couldn't get out. I couldn't say what I wanted. Right. Um, and I can, yeah, everything you've said up there, I understand. Okay. You know, he didn't have the experience, I don't believe, or the knowledge to get out what I was keeping in. Okay. So. Okay, good. Yeah. I, I just want to say I admire the confidence you have in being able to help someone in a single session. Mm. I'm, I'm wondering what. Well, I'm a great believer of how do you get confidence is, is to do things um, unconfidently until you learn from your mistakes and you then, you know, um, to develop an opportunity 
to kind of have the confidence. It's the same thing as when I had a stammer and I, you know, the idea of standing up in front of a, you know, a group of people for an hour and speaking, I'd rather, you know, throw myself off of a building, you know. Um, but, but when I did it, I did it unconfidently. I learned from my experience and then that's the way to develop confidence. It'd be nice to have confidence before doing things. Okay, yeah, well, I mean, that's one, of the, that's one of my mentors, both in general and in single session work as well. So can we have one more question? Because then, yeah, uh, over there. Um, I just want to ask, like, single session therapy, like, is it possible to train in a particular type of therapy and offer single sessions, or is it a certain regimented way? No, no, no. Okay, so... Um, Anybody with the right mindset from any specific approach can practice single session therapy. And if anybody writes a manual for how to do single session therapy, I will be the first to tear it up. Because there are good ideas, but I'm against the step-by-step -step manualized in any treatment. In fact, in, um, in CBT, there is, we have a concept for departure from the manual and it's called therapist drift. I don't know if you've heard about that. And so I'm so against uh, the manualize of, 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 um, of, um, of treatment. I've, I actually decided a while ago to, uh, to set up a group called, um, called the Drifters. <laughs> and we had our first session up on the roof and our second session under the boardwalk. Uh, and on that groan, I think it's a good opportunity to, to ha have a break and then we'll come back and I'll show you how, at least how I do it. <laughs>